At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details this is the Detroit City Cast with Dan Leach, presented by Bet Rivers. And what's going on, fine citizens? Welcome in. Terrific Tuesday edition of the Detroit City Cast, brought to you by our great friends at Bet Rivers. We have a great show today. I'm really looking forward to talking to my man and former New Jersey Superior Court judge and now professor of law at Monmouth University, Lawrence Jones. He and his class, his law and society class, did an incredible thing. They put together an 82-page document to and sent it to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred about the Armando Galarraga perfect game and how it relates to the law and how there are all these different situations in history and precedent, whether it's sports or non-sports, that could maybe lead to Major League Baseball overturning the incorrect call and giving Galarraga the 24th perfect game, well, at the time I think it would have been the 21st, but the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. We'll get to my discussion uh, with Dr. Lawrence, or Professor, excuse me, Lawrence uh, Jones in just a bit. But let's take a trip to the Motown betting window. And I'm going to start with this just incredible movement on the NFL draft odds at Bet Rivers. I mean, it's been going up literally as the minutes go by, and we've talked about this for weeks on the show, I told you going back to maybe almost two months ago around combine time when Aiden Hutchinson became a minus $400 or more favorite to be the overall number one pick that I thought closer to draft day could be around even money. Well, it's gone even higher than that. Trayvon Walker is clearly the overall number one favorite right now, minus 200 at Bet Rivers. Aiden Hutchinson up to plus 225. That's over a $600 move since after the combine. And then Aquanu, the offensive tackle from Clemson, could end up going number one as well. He went down from eight, actually 12 to 1 a day ago, 8 to 1, and then now 5 to 1 within a couple hours uh, You know, on uh, later on Monday night. So, it is moving fast and furious. Trent Baalke, the GM of ja- Jacksonville. The report is he is definitely all in uh, on Trayvon Walker from Georgia. So we'll keep monitoring that. We're going to talk about my man Dave Burkett, Lions beat writer for the free, uh, leading up to the draft tomorrow on Wild Wednesday. So we have seen incredible movement on uh, the odds for the overall number one pick. And as I mentioned, there are odds to bet on what position the Lions draft, different player props. Uh, hundreds of odds and props to bet on uh, for the NFL draft at Bet Rivers just a couple days away now. 
Also want to let you know that Bet Rivers gives you more reasons to root, root, root for the home team with a 20% profit boost on all Major League Baseball games. Log on today and place your bets on the money line point spread or who will hit the long ball and you'll earn a 20% profit boost on any Major League Baseball game. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Peanuts and hot dogs, fortunately not included. Log on to BetRivers.com or download the Bet Rivers app and place your bets. Must be 21 playable in Michigan. Only gambling problem. Call 1-800-270-7117. Take a look at what's going on uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. They'll get back on the ice after a bad loss to Pittsburgh, uh, 7-2, and then a good win over New Jersey, 3-0 the day after. They'll take off with the Maple Leafs later tonight in Toronto. Another huge dog are the Red Wings. The Maple Leafs minus 420 at Bet Rivers. Wings plus 330. Uh, puck line Toronto, minus 1.5, minus 180. Red Wings plus 1.5, plus 150. And the total is 7 over minus 117, under minus 103. Obviously, a lot of the Wings games have been going over. The last game, though, against New Jersey did not. And the Tigers will get going uh, with the Minnesota Twins, they're back to work after, of course, Miguel Cabrera's big weekend uh, to get the 3,000 hits. And the Tigers will get going with the Twins at 740 Eastern. It will be Rodriguez for Detroit, the opening day starter. And for Minnesota, it'll be Paddock, or Paddock, excuse me, uh, not Paddock, Chris Paddock. He's 0-1 with a 6.75 ERA, 1.22 whip. He does have seven walks and no, or excuse me, seven strikeouts, no walks. Rodriguez uh, is 0-1 with a 5.87 ERA, 1.39 whip, 12 Ks, and six walks. And right now, Bet Rivers, the Twins minus 150, Tigers plus 128, run line minus 1.5, Minnesota plus 148, and the Tigers plus 1.5, minus 186. The total seven over minus 124, under plus 107. NBA playoffs coming up on Tuesday night. We got three games in all, Hawks and Heat series uh, at 3-1 Miami. Game five in Miami is the Heat minus seven, minus 114 at Bet Rivers. Hawks plus seven, minus 108. I do have a lean on the Hawks plus that seven. If the reduced juice, I think the Hawks keep this one close. Might lose the game, but I think they can still you know, keep it close, possession or two, and maybe steal game number five and get back to Atlanta trying to push it to a game number seven. Money line Miami minus 315. Hawks plus 245, total 217.5, over minus 110, under minus 112. What a series this could end up being. It already has been great. Minnesota and the, and the Grizz, I've given you three winners in this series. I feel like I'm going to give you a third, uh, uh, you know, a fourth winner with this game. Grizzlies at home, minus 6, minus 110. Same with the Timberwolves, plus 6, minus 110 for this series, tied at 2. Money line Memphis, minus 240. T-Wolves, plus 195. Total, another high one, 232, over and under. Both minus 110. I do like the T-Wolves to cover the six. I think it's going to be another close game. And I wouldn't be shocked as as well if Minnesota can win this one and get back to Minnesota with a chance to maybe clinch it or send it to a game seven for either the Timberwolves if they're down or the Grizzlies if they're down to get a game seven going, which would be in Memphis. So I definitely have an official selection on Minnesota plus six. Then the nightcap, another series that's tied two to two. Pelicans. Told you about the Pelicans in the last game. Remember, we discussed how the first game after you lose a star, the, the team that loses them can maybe get by. That's what Phoenix did after losing Devin Booker. It's the game after that, and the game after that where there can be problems. That's what happened in game four where the Pelicans were able to win outright. Now they go back to Phoenix for game number five. It's Suns minus six and a half. Both sides minus 110. Moneyline Phoenix minus 250. Pelicans plus 205. Uh, and the total 215.5 over minus 110, under minus 112. I'm not going to touch this game, but I will tell you that I do think the Pelicans can keep this close. There's momentum there. Uh, I think the total's where it should be, so I won't have a play on that. But, you know, maybe a stab at a Pelicans money line bet, half unit play for you. It's not an official pick for me. Uh, I might end up pulling the trigger at the end. The only side I would take would be New Orleans plus 6.5 or the money line plus 205. But this series could go 7 as well without Devin Booker. The Suns are a much different team all right that is going to do it for the motown betting window brought to you by our great friends at bet rivers and coming up next we'll talk with professor lawrence jones of monmouth university former retired new jersey or former uh new jersey uh superior court judge who's now retired and the fascinating project 
that him and his 16 students in the Law and Society class did on the Armando Galarraga perfect game. Getting to that coming up straight ahead on the Detroit City cast, the terrific Tuesday edition. Believe in the dream. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Must be 21. Playable in Michigan only. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 270 7117. So, could not be more excited to have a discussion with my man, Professor Lawrence Jones from Monmouth University. And if you hadn't heard about this story, him and his Law and Society class in the last fall came together, and, and this was less about baseball and more about applying the law and teaching how the law can be flexible when it comes to certain situations. And they decided to use the example of the Romano Galarraga imperfect game. Of course, everyone knows, including Donald the batter, Galarraga the pitcher, Jim Joyce the umpire, they've all agreed that the, the wrong call was made, that he should have been, uh, you know, Donald should have been called out at first base. And Professor Lawrence Jones in his class put together an 82-page document, sent it to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred about this situation, cited both baseball and non-baseball examples to strengthen their argument. And maybe, just maybe, baseball, which could use some good PR, could use this and overturn an injustice, right a wrong, we shall see. But regardless of what happens from this, Just a fascinating study in sports and the law. Here is my discussion with Dr. or Professor Lawrence Jones from Monmouth University and what him and his law class did on the Armando Galarraga imperfect game. And it is my honor and pleasure to welcome into the Detroit CityCast retired New Jersey Superior Court judge, law professor at Monmouth University, and of course, the Law and Society course. It is my man, Lawrence Jones. Lawrence, uh, it's, it's great to have you here. And there's just a fascinating story that you and your class were able to put together. I just want to thank you first for coming on and joining us. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me, Dan, and for having interest in the story and the work of the students. And please call me Larry. All right, Larry, it is. You can call me uh, the Squatch. So okay. let me just say this off the jump. And it's it's fascinating in this, this day and age where, you know, social media and you know, the ability to get stories out there on shows like mine and, and many others can really make a difference. And and I, I wanted to just get into the kind of the genesis of what happened here. And just for those that don't know, and I know that some, many people, obviously, because I've had people reach out to me that were fascinated by this story, your law and society class came together with you. You have 16 students in that class, you put together an 82-page document to send to Commissioner Rob Mann for Major League Baseball's commissioner in support of adding Armando Galarraga, which of course Tigers fans know so well, to the list of perfect games. And we'll get into the whole crux of that in a minute. But can I just get from you where this came from? And and I know you use this as a great way to show about the flexibility of law. It was a great teaching opportunity about the law as well. But how did this whole thing come about? Because it really is fascinating. Well, every year, I've been teaching the course now for, I believe, four years. And every year, try to change the syllabus a little bit. And it's personally, I think it's important for students, college students who are ultimately gonna go out in the world and make their own way to be able to not only do work that's contained within the classroom for great purposes, but something that might have a shelf value outside of the classroom, particularly in a law and society class where you're talking about making not only a legal difference, but a social difference. So each year, try to come up with a, with a different course project that's going to supplement the, the, the regular learning, uh, academic learning that the students use. So it just came to me over the summer, actually in the spring um, last year in 2021, I was reading something about the Galarraga case and I thought this would be really perfect for, by analogy for a lot of the principles that we teach in law society. You don't just look at a rule and read it, you know, literally. You have to look at the spirit of the rules. And this applies not just in sports, but in, in, in really fundamental areas of the law. Um, there's an old saying from Justice Learned Hand, one of the most famous justices in American history, saying there's no sure way to misread a rule or document than to read it literally. 
And people do this sometimes. You have to look at what the spirit and purpose of the rule is in order to analyze it. So we implemented it into the class for the fall of 2021, and the students really enjoyed it and immersed themselves in it. They, 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 uh, and, and I think it shows in the work that they did that they submitted to the commissioner. No, absolutely. And, and I want to get into that in a minute. And, and I got a rebuttal for some people that I know that will listen to this and that have read the story. And I, I've talked to some of them personally, too, that are, are worried about the whole can of worms being open. We'll get to that in, in a little bit here. But not to, you know, uh, bring people back to a bad memory, because I have a lot of friends. I wasn't there myself. I was actually living in Atlanta at the time. And I have a lot of friends that were at that game back on that fateful night in 2010. Of course, I'm on Galarraga bottom of the nine or top of the ninth against the now Cleveland Guardians, what a silly name, uh, you know, perfect game, two outs, you know, batter hits the ball, throw to first base, clearly was out, yet Jim Joyce, and I, it was a really kind of fascinating situation after the fact that Jim Joyce and Gal Rocker kind of went this goodwill tour together, and everyone, even including the batter, admitted that he was out and that it should have been a perfect game. But when you look at a situation like this, and now that we've got replay involved in, in baseball, Larry, we've got the ability to, to right a lot of wrongs on the spot. What about, what do you say to people that will say, okay, well, that wasn't the rule then, it is now, but that there, as you mentioned with the flexibility law, I know you talked about this as well uh, in, in some comments you made to USA Today that, you know, it's about studying how rules are created, how rules are interpreted, principles of fairness and equality, and that the situation is analogous to many areas of law. How do you get from, okay, it wasn't a rule then, but it's clearly the wrong call, to it is reviewable now, it would have been a perfect game. How do you get to that? Well, in our legal system, and we concentrate on this in the, in the class, because not everyone who takes the class is going to be an attorney or a judge or a lawmaker in the future, but many of them are. And even those who are not, those who could become psychologists or teachers or educators or business persons, it's still important as a citizen to kind of know how this stuff works. The whole purpose of our law in almost any field is to do the right thing, is to create justice. That's why you see in courthouses, the scales of justice. That's why it's there to do equity, do fairness, not just to be, you know, basically a, a follower, so to speak, and say, well, this is what the rule says, so this is what we must do. You have to analyze it further. So there are many people who say, and, and in the world of sports, I'm very aware that uh, people are often very afraid of change. They think change is going to somehow bring about the, the downfall of the sport in right. baseball people. And this is in the in this report to the commissioner but that the students wrote. There was a pushback against the designated hitter rule. There was pushback against interleague play. There was pushback about, about expanded playoffs. But these things happen and, and it, it's part of progress. You know, you're not supposed to live in a time vacuum where everything stays exactly the same. So with the Galarraga situation, the most common, the most common uh, objection that people tend to have, at least in my experience, is, well, if you, if you do this, you're going to open up a gigantic can of worms, a slippery slope. Every case has to be reopened. The 1985 World Series has to be reopened. Goes to the Deckinger call. Uh, a play from 100 years ago has to be reopened. And that is simply inconsistent with how the law works. The law, if you go into a courtroom on a case, it's based very largely on, on the theory of what's called precedent. There's analogy and distinction. You analogize to prior cases, you can distinguish from prior cases, but no two cases are exactly the same. This is very, very important in the Galarraga case because when people say it's gonna open a can of worms, the truth of the matter is in the 150 year history of Major League Baseball, if you study it, there has not been one single case that has anywhere near the factual yep. elements of this case. So it completely distinguishes the Galarraga case from every other case. People bring up cases, the Milpapas perfect game uh, or close to perfect game, uh, uh, one from uh, a fellow named Hooks Wilts back in 1908, different cases. And they are so distinguishable from the, from so factually distinguishable and in terms of the issues from the Galarraga case, that they simply don't apply. And so you can't just say it's gonna open up now every case gets reopened. That's just not the case here. You have to look at each case on a fact sensitive basis. And sometimes people ask, why did it take 82 pages to present this to Commissioner Manfred? And the reason why, if you look at any legal brief, is you have to explain this in some detail. You have to look at precedent. You have to analogize and distinguish. So. I don't want to take up too much more time here, but I can tell you that there was no case in the history of Major League Baseball, none. You will not find it 
where it's talking about a perfect game, for example, the pitcher, the, the batter, the opposing batter, in this case, Jason Donald and the umpire all agree that he was out. It didn't happen in the Milk Pappas case. It didn't happen in the Hooks Wills case. It didn't happen in any other case. So to even bring up other cases and say, well, now you'd have to reverse this is comparing apples to oranges completely. It misses the entire point that you have to be, to do equity, to do justice. You have to look at the specific facts of each case. Just like if any of your listeners go into court at a future date, they want their case to be decided on their facts, not on what someone else did 85 years ago. I don't think you could have said that any better. There's a reason you're a law professor. We're a great judge as well. And, and I mentioned we had, and, and you guys put together in the, in the document, you know, a refute to the, you know, so-called can of worms crowd. I'll just run through a couple of these here, you know, talking about examples from Major League Baseball's past, you know, where things were in a way like this. You mentioned the perfect game stuff, but the fact that in 883, the baseball commissioner reversed an umpire's ruling that George Brad, of course, from Kansas City was out because he used too much pine tar when he hit that home run against the Yankees. Uh, in, in 91, Pittsburgh Pirates catcher or pitcher Harry Haddix was removed from the sports no-hitter list 32 years after he threw what was classified as a no-hitter because he had thrown 12 perfect innings, lost perfect game on an error and a hit in the 13th. Uh, institution of instant replay, you guys had mentioned, which occurred in part because of the Galarraga incident, acknowledges that umpires make mistakes that sometimes require correction. And you also put in non-baseball cases, uh, a case uh, that happened uh, later on again, you know, Westinghouse Electric Corpus, you, uh, United Electrical Corporation, where, you know, you cited this case where it was a wrong, a quote, wrong suffered without a remedy is a blot upon the sound administration of justice. Now, I know we're not trying to compare a perfect game with maybe like some of the most historic cases in the history of this country, but it's that principle, that, 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 that line right there, that a wrong suffered without a remedy is a blot upon the sound administration of justice completely works in multiple facets with the Galarraga game. One is because it's such a rare thing to happen. Two, it was completely an egregious mistake. Three, like you mentioned, all three participants agree that it was the wrong call. And they all agree on that, which is completely rare. And as you said, in the other perfect game sort of, you know, uh, situations that never happened. So doesn't that completely make sense to me why this would not open up a can of worms? It would not open up a can of worms. And the whole thing is, you know, if you take a look at what happened, and sometimes people say, well, you know, but that happened 12 years ago, et cetera. Well, it did happen 12 years ago. But the truth of the matter is, if you go back and look at it, and in our law, sometimes things are reopened, uh, you know, much longer than that. Uh, you know, Jack Johnson, the famous heavyweight champion, was pardoned 100 years after he died. And some people right. say, well, why did why did you dip? To make it right for the same reasons like in the Westinghouse case you just cited. So the, these cases, while they didn't involve sports necessarily, the principles are what govern, uh, the principles are what govern. So it doesn't, when you're talking about, you know, this is the thing with baseball, you know, it's a sport to us, but to others such as uh, Armando Galarraga, it's their livelihood. I mean, it's their, it's their life. You know, it's very easy for people to sit back and sometimes people say, say well, he's more famous because because of the call than he would have been if they got it right. <laughs> That's what a lot of people here will say in Detroit about Galarraga. Well, you you do hear this, but they're missing. They're not putting themselves in the shoes of the person who suffered the wrong. Put it this way: Let's say you won. You know, Dan. Let's say you won a Pulitzer Prize for reporting, and then due to some you know error, data entry error, you didn't get it. You know, you were denied it. Now, other people might say, "Oh, he's he's more famous for." for being screwed over and for getting the award he won. But you would be saying, I, I deserve this. I earned this. I right. achieved this. I want to be on the list of Pulitzer Prize winners. So Armando Galarraga, he, everybody knows, including the, the batter and the umpire and both teams and everyone who was there that day and everyone who's watched the video, this wasn't even a close call. This wasn't even like in the Mill Pappas case where you could say where the the, 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 the umpire called a, a ball four versus strike three, where it was kind of on the, could have gone either way. Personally, I watched that. I think it was a ball. I think the umpire got it right, <laughs> quite frankly. I uh, think but, it was but, you know, but it was close enough where you could say, ah, you know, maybe the umpire should have given it. To, this was, there was, nobody has ever looked at the Galarraga video and said the batter was safe. Nobody. You couldn't. It, it was such a bad call. And Jim Joyce, to his credit, owned up to the mistake. That's yep. something that was honorable. It's something that really made the issue even stronger because he owned up to it. But for people who say this makes somehow makes Galarraga more famous, keep in mind that if they now reversed it, 
it doesn't change the story and the journey of what he went through. He'd still be as famous for what right. he went through, but but Major League Baseball would then do the right thing and demonstrate at a time when they're, you know, let's face it, baseball's kind of losing some fans. Let's put it that way. It might show something from a social standpoint that in this instance, this is the right thing to do. And within those 83 pages, 82 pages without going through all the details, there's a lot of legal analysis. There's a lot of social analysis. It's not just about the George Brett case, which is an example where they did overturn the umpires over the umpire's objection. Remember, analogy and distinction, Galarraga's umpire wants it to be overturned. Jim Joyce wants it to be overturned. You know, um, in, in, the, in the George Brett case, they did not. In the George Brett case, it affected the outcome of the game and could have potentially affected the outcome of the season because in the middle of a pennant race involving the Yankees and Royals, and they still overturned it. In the Galarraga case, that did not happen. And in the Galarraga case, it was the final out of the game, which which massively distinguishes it from people bringing up the 1985 World Series game six, where uh, the umpire Don Deckinger made a call that on re instant replay showed that it was really the wrong call, but it didn't necessarily affect the outcome of the game because you don't know what would have happened thereafter right. if in fact he got the call right, but because the Royals still could have lost the game. There was still a game seven, it's very difficult to go back in time and say, well, had this call been different, everything else would have followed the exact same way, the domino effect. So if this Galarraga call was in the fourth inning and then he, they, they called him safe and then he went on to pitch a perfect game, we'll get everyone else out. It would be hard to argue he should get a perfect game because the pitch selection may have been different. Correct. The defensive alignment may have been different. Pinch hitters may That's have been different. That's a great point. The psychological pressure on the pitcher, which is such an important part of a perfect game, a lot of pitchers have blown no hitters in perfect games because the pressure got to them in the you know ninth inning or eighth inning. They threw, they lost the strike zone. They hit somebody. Max Scherzer this happened to a few years ago. He's pitching a perfect game in the ninth inning against the Pirates, and you know come down to the last batter, he hits the guy. You know because there's a really psychological and strategic component to these things too. But that doesn't apply at all in the Galarraga case because it was the last out. And then he went on and got the last as he got the perfect <laughs> game. So, so all of yeah, these it's like, indisputable, like when you recover a fumble, like there's got to be a clean recovery in football. That's the way that was. It was a clean recovery. Right. Right. And on top of that, you do have the, you do have the benefit of instant replay, even though in answer to your question, even though it wasn't in place at the time, when you're looking at it now and you're saying, and 12 years is really not that long ago compared to some of the other decisions major league baseball has made, which we can get into, but you know, it's not that long ago. And the replay clearly shows beyond a reasonable doubt, if you're going to use any standard of all, that nobody could possibly say he was safe. It's beyond dispute. And they all agree. And it was the last out. So why would you not acknowledge that at that particular point? But back in 2010, what happened is there was really no hearing. There was really no assemblage of these types of issues as the students did and putting them all in one place. The, if you go back and research in 2010, most of the issues raised in this in this 82 page analysis were not raised. It was simply, oh, give them the perfect game, like because it's a nice thing to do. And the and the and the commissioner then, the then commissioner, but Selick, chose not to do it. Be probably because there was a fear of opening up cans right. of worms and all right. that kind of stuff. But if you now you're a little removed from it, you have a new commissioner, relatively new commissioner, you have all these arguments. Hey, you know, now you start looking at it logically, rationally, you look at what this man Galarraga accomplished and why, what is the benefit to major league baseball of, of proceeding with the fiction that he didn't get the guy out? What is the, how does that in any way, shape or form help Major League Baseball, help its, help its honor? Does it at all? Zero. It, it, it completely works against it. So in those 82 pages, we talk about this in, in great detail and the students got into it and they understood it. And, you know, most of them didn't remember Galarraga. They were nine years old. When it happened. <laughs> you know, they're all like 18 to 22 years old, right? right? And a lot of them were not, you know, baseball fans, you know, but they, but they, this resonated with them. And when he spoke with the class, that really did it quite frankly. And uh, they, um, they uh, embraced it and they're, you know, um, they just did a, a, an outstanding job. I would encourage your listeners if they have an opportunity to read, not, not just read the articles about it, but read the actual submission. Oh, for sure. Uh, and uh, which is available online. The uh, athletic put it online. So if you just Google it, you know, it's there as a PDF and uh I think anyone who reads it will see not only um, the work that the students put into it, but also the logic behind this, that this 
makes absolute 100% sense. And the pluses far outweigh the minuses and the fears of, well, things are, you're going to open up cans of worms and the whole world's going to collapse if you honor this individual's effort by recognizing his perfect game. Yeah, I think you just said it there in a bunch of different ways. First off, the pluses, well, uh, you know, away the minuses. This is something that obviously would do nothing but help. It doesn't hurt Major League Baseball. There, and I wanted to ask you something because I'm fascinated by the law. If I wasn't in broadcasting, I'd be a lawyer because uh, I think I'd be pretty good in the courtroom, uh, Professor. Lewis. I think you, I think you would actually. My grandfather actually he got the first million dollar settlement uh, in, a, in a, the, the state of Michigan's history. So really? there's a little little history there. Saul M. Leach, by the way, the M stood for middle. <laughs> It's a but small world. It is, isn't it? And I always have been, you know, just a, a student of the law and love it. I have a lot of friends, obviously, that are lawyers. And to, to, this is to the, to the question of the gravitas. I know that you can't just look at cases based on gravitas, but there have been 23 perfect games ever in the history right. of 150 years plus of Major League Baseball. Isn't there something to be said, like when you look at Brown versus Board of Education, some very famous Supreme Court cases that, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, have set precedents. I'm not comparing this to that in any way, shape, or form. Sure. My point is, is that this is such a big deal. There, it's only happened 23 times ever, and you can remedy this. And like you mentioned, the flexibility of the law can allow for this. It seems like a no-brainer to me. It does. It, it, it does seem like a no brainer to some and others. It's a no brainer the other way. They say this is what happens and so be it. But I, I would suggest that, you know, the law as it's expanded and policy as it's expanded has almost always been situations where people look beyond the literal language of things and are willing to expand their own horizons and not be afraid of change. And, and, and you have to and that's not to say you just bend the rules. If you look at the rules and the students spent some time talking about this and you look at the at the actual baseball rules that everyone's saying have to be applied here, there is no rule. If you look at the rules, there's no rule that says an umpire cannot reverse himself. Right. Even before, it, there, there's a rule that says you cannot challenge an umpire's decision. And that was based on coaches and managers and people slowing up the game by, by challenging an umpire's decision. And of course, you can challenge an umpire decision even before instant replay. You know, people, managers run out all the time. The Earl Weavers and Billy Martins in history have made a whole show of challenging it. But the point was, you got to keep the game moving a little bit. That didn't mean, and it's hard to believe, there's no evidence at all that when the rules were created back in 1869 or whenever, that the thought was, well, if there's a clearly wrong call on the umpire and the Players from both teams all agree it's a wrong call that for some reason the sky's going to fall in if you don't <laughs> reverse that call. It makes no sense. Yeah, like baseball's going to fall apart somehow. Right, right. And this you see this in the law many times. And your 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 if your grandfather probably saw this a lot when when you know there are many times when you look at a rule and the literal language of the rule is going to apply it literally. It's going to be that narrow about it it creates a massive injustice. And there are a, a million examples of this in the law. When I was on the bench, I would see this very often. And sometimes I'd write decisions based upon the fact that, you know, the interpretation of the law, you have to look at the spirit of the law, the purpose of the law. If you're just doing something because this is what the words say, you become like a robot. You don't need, um, you don't need umpires, you don't need a commissioner. Remember the commissioner, if you look at the, and this is also in those, in the, in the, in the submission, um, you know, there's a constitution in Major League Baseball. I don't know if, if your listeners are aware of that. There's actually a Major yep. League Baseball constitution. I've seen it before. Right. And, and a set of rules. They're, they're different. They're two different things. But the students analyze both of them. Now, the constitution makes patently clear that the, the, the commissioner of baseball essentially has the discretion to do what is necessary for the interests of baseball. That provides a tremendous amount of latitude and discretion to do what is right. That's exactly how the George Brett call got overturned. Remember, there was the George Brett call, the, the commissioner, the mayor league president at that time, Lee McPhail, overturned over the umpire's objection, a call that affected the outcome of the game. Why? Because he felt that the spirit of the rule was more important than the umpire's literal interpretation right. in that case, the fine talk. You referenced before Harvey Haddix, which we, we talked about in there as well. Major League Baseball, 32 years after Harvey Haddix pitched uh, 13 perfect innings, what almost every baseball historian considers the greatest pitching effort in Major League history. And it was on the list of perfect games, et cetera. And Major League Baseball determined 32 years after the fact, they're not going to count it anymore. They did the reverse. So if you can take away a perfect game. Why can't you make one? Well, uh, 32 years later, why can't you add one? 
it's very sad with Harvey Haddix. He was he's he, he lived his whole life thinking he pitched a perfect game. Right. And some administrators 32 years later say, no, you didn't. And on and I, we put this in the uh, in the submission on his tombstone, on Harvey Haddix's tombstone, he puts in there. You know, because he couldn't say he pitched a perfect game because, according to Major League Baseball, he didn't anymore. So it said pitch 12 perfect innings. Right on. <laughs> but 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 the point of this, Dan, is it's we got you can't forget this when you were talking about, you know, players, athletes, this is their profession. This is their lives. This is their personal identity. Harvey Haddix is walking around thinking he's on the list of perfect game pitchers. And 32 years after this happened, the 30 years after he retired, he's told that doesn't it doesn't exist anymore. This was very, very um, heartbreaking for him and his family. There were interviews with his wife, interviews with his family. That this was they could have grandfathered him in Major League Baseball. They could have. They could have said, we'll make the rule perspective rather than retroactive. We don't have to go backwards 32 years and start picking people off the list. But this is what they did. And it was really, there was a humanistic element to this that the students really related to that and applied and analogized it to the Galarraga situation. When people say, well, okay, keep it the way it is. It's great for him. It's not. I mean, think about it. You know, you earn this, you work for it. You, you accomplish this thing, as you've said, Dan, that only 23 people in the entire story history of Major League Baseball, pitchers like Whitey Ford, Juan Marichal, Bob Gibson, Babe Ruth, who was an outstanding pitcher, Walter Johnson never did this. And he, in his second year in the United States, second year in Major League Baseball, is that he was in the minor leagues of the Tigers the year before, and he comes and he does this and doesn't get on the list, doesn't get on the list because of bureaucracy, because of red tape, because of all the fears of the what ifs and the paralysis that comes from what ifs. We all have this in our lives, right? Where you sometimes people are afraid to do something, a what if. But like we say in the papers, what if this is a great thing for Major League Baseball? Right, right. What if this doesn't open up a can of worms? What if people look at this and say, this is baseball doing what, what, what it's supposed to do? You don't have to be rigid, overly rigid, and, and, you know, and, and, and assume the world's going to come apart if you, don't follow, uh, if you don't follow an exact rule, even if that rule makes no sense and is completely inapplicable and was never intended to be applicable in this type of situation. I just want to say one other thing. Um, you know, there are other examples in, besides George Brett in this uh, for baseball historians in, in the submission. You know, Roger Maris, when he broke the uh, Babe Ruth's single season yep. home run record. The big the yeah, they put an yeah, wasn't they didn't actually they never put an asterisk, but they basically said we're not going to count it. The Ford Frick was the commissioner and he was a big friend of Babe Ruth famously. And they said midway through the 61 season, when it was very obvious that Maris was on par to break the record. Well, we're going to have two sets of records. We're going to say, Maris, <laughs> yes, you got your 61, but, you know, you really didn't do it the way Babe Ruth did it because he had less games. Now, the truth of the matter is the real injustice to Roger Maris there is Roger Maris had 60 home runs in less at-bats yep. than Babe Ruth, even though he had more games. So really, if you're going to get into these hyper-technicalities, that distinction to keep Ruth's record, you know, from being broken by Maris um, is really um, – a fallacy to some degree, but that's what Major League Baseball did for the longest time for until 1991, and then 1991, New Yorker and a, a reporter from New Yorker um, in your field, journalist wrote uh, an article saying how wrong that was, and then the new commissioner at that time, Faye Vincent, said, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna now honor, uh, we're gonna recognize Roger Maris." Meanwhile, what had happened? Roger Maris had died. Yep, never got so to experience he, it. He never got to experience it. He never, and he never got to experience it, even though clearly he had the record, and that's the record. Meanwhile, now you have this record broken six times over during the steroid era, and those records seem to stick for some particular reason. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense to me. It's like you can't erase the steroids era, so why are you doing all this other stuff? That, I, I, see, it doesn't make any sense to me. It, it doesn't make any sense, but you know what? Um, coming back to the Brett game for a minute, I, it's just I think it was interesting when you watched it. For those of you who go on YouTube and watch this old baseball stuff and you look at George Brett and the Pine Tar game, for those who are not familiar with it, you may want to watch it. Oh, they need, if they haven't watched it, they need to. <laughs> they, made a, they made a bobblehead doll out of this to George Brett. George Brett was trying to attack the umpire after the call. He came racing yep. out of the dugout. They, the Royals had to restrain him. His face was purple like a plum. Uh, it's just amazing. And you compare that to Galarraga, who was, who was worldwide respected for not yeah, picture of class. Umpire. Right now, okay. George Brett got his reversed. Armando Galarraga did not. 
And so in the, you know, when you think about it, yes, uh, Armando Galarraga was the, was the epitome of class, was the epitome of sportsmanship. And George Brett actually got ejected from that game after it happened, you know, the game was over, so, but they ejected him. Um, and so, you know, we talked about in the, in the submission, you know, the keeping it with a baseball theme, the famous Leo DeRocher uh, provision, nice guys finish last. <laughs> and uh, this would be an opportunity for Major League Baseball to demonstrate that nice guys don't finish last. You know, Galarraga acted in such an appropriate way, acted in such a sportsmanlike way. He was given an ESPY award for Sportsman of the Year with Jim Joyce for their class. It really demonstrated how to be professional. How It's yep. a great example for little leaguers and, as well as adults. And George Brett was, you know, we, we lost his cool. Let's put it that way. But yet, Brett's they overturned and Galarraga's they did not. So there's something to be said for that as well. Larry, you would wonder if, if Galarraga's last name was Clemens or if his last name was Martinez. Would it be different if he was a famous pitcher? You know, some people have said that. I, I don't know. I think that would be speculation. But I do know that George Brett was extraordinarily famous and for rightful reasons at the time when his incident occurred. He was he almost hit 400 a few years earlier. He was right. considered one of the greatest and still is one of the greatest third basemen of all time. One of the greatest players of all time. Um, he um, his team had gone to the World Series just a couple of years earlier. They lost to the Phillies, but they were there, you know. Um, his famous uh, hemorrhoid issue came out, you know, at that particular <laughs> yeah. time. But um, yeah, some people say that, you know, that if, if it was, you know, if it was Tom Seaver or if it was, you know, Mariana Rivera or something like that, maybe it would have made a difference. I, I don't know. That, the, we, we, that may or may not be, but in, within those 80 pages, it, um, it was very important to the students, um, really to all of us, to try to avoid speculation to try to make this very, very much fact-sensitive, law-sensitive, policy-sensitive, and not get into all kinds of things like, you know, well, if he was, if he was, you know, if he was Whitey Ford, or if he was Babe Ruth, the result might have been different. It might have been, it might not have been. We'll never know. But it's kind of irrelevant, because yeah. we know what happened in his case for him. And the question now is, what do you do with it? And you know, there are other instances where Major League Baseball has, years after the fact, in other circumstances, you know, done the right thing. Uh, Roger Maris example is one. It's also talked about in the papers. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this, but in 2020, not just a couple of years ago, Major League Baseball um, came forward with the, the present commissioner, Rob Manfred, and announced that um, because of the um, injustice that was done to the players in the Negro Leagues, in the 1930s and 40s that the play, et cetera, many, many years ago, that their records were gonna be considered major league records. Right. And they were going to now retroactively adopt them, even though it wasn't recognized at the time into major league baseball records. That was, that was a very socially appropriate thing to do. I mean, it's not comparing the Galarraga case at all to what happened to those players in the Negro Leagues. They had their whole careers essentially uh, 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 really, you know, short-circuited by discrimination and prejudice and, you know, rules that were really un quite unfortunate at the time and, and really hurt some great players. So they're doing it after the fact now. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's better late than never, one can argue. But again, most of those players are deceased or 90 years old because it was right. a long time ago. It's, a, it's an honor for their families, but they didn't get to experience it. But what it does demonstrate is sometimes it is better late than never. And that's true, not only in sports, it's true in our law. And, you know, there are opportunities to do this. So when you talk about 12 years, you know, it doesn't, it really doesn't seem as long as some other. It's a blip. 12 years it, is nothing. It, it's, it's, it, it it's, is, a, it's you know? a couple iPhones. Right. And, and on top of that, you do have the benefit of the, of the, of the, um, of the, uh, of the uh, videotape. You do have that, even though it wasn't in place at the time, it's still evidentiary as to what happened. And it makes it obvious as to what happened. You know, there was also a game, and I don't know, again, how many people are aware of this, but after that, there was a game uh, involving you, Darvish. Um, in 2014, um, he was pitching, he had lost a perfect game in the ninth inning the year before, a ball went through his legs and it was a hit. So anyway, he's pitching the second, it was a no hitter this time, it was not a perfect game. But um, he's pitching it against the Red Sox and they call um, a questionable play they call what could have been called a hit an error, the official scorer, not the umpire, now the official scorer. And uh, so he becomes, for a day or two, 
all, uh, one of the few players, I believe the second pitcher in Major League history, to take two no-hitters to the last out and lose them. That rarely happens. It happened with a uh, Toronto pitcher named Dave Steeb many years ago, and then it's happened with him. So then what happened is the commissioner's office overturned the call of the official scorer and said that that was not an error that was, excuse me, that was not a, a right, that was not an error, it was a hit. And so it basically took away, not that it was yeah. a great honor to blow two, two no-hitters in the ninth <laughs> but inning. But still it's still something. Right. So now, so so this is after the Galarraga game. This is three years after the Galarraga game. Now, that was an official scorer. It wasn't an umpire. But the policy is the same. In other words, both umpires and official scorers are essentially agents of Major League Baseball. They are on-field representatives. They make calls. The What happened in the Darvish case demonstrates that the commissioner has the authority, not only has the authority, but can and did exercise it there to change what happened on the field relative to the structure of a no-hitter or relative to a perfect game. So it's not just things that happened to Harvey Haddix in 1959. We're talking about now. You Darvish now, or you Darvish in 2014. So if, this, if you can do that in that case, logically, why couldn't you do it, right? in the uh, in the uh in the uh in the galarraga case so all of these things we put them together and you know i think it made a, a fairly compelling argument i have to say um and then some of the students talked about i don't know if you're a movie fan or not the, the bit one of the biggest are you well are you a fan have you ever seen the movie one flew over to cuckoo's nest unfortunately well i want to say unfortunately too many times but many many times because it's a brilliant movie, but it's also tough to see people living with that, you know, kind of craziness. It's yeah, it's a fantastic movie. It's what it's talking about a perfect game. It's a perfect game of a movie, right? It, it is won all the awards. And in New Jersey, it, people are particularly fond of it because two of its favorite sons are in that movie: Jack Nicholson, who yep. right, lived in Monmouth County, where Monmouth University is, and also Danny DeVito, who both uh, grew up there, you know, and uh, very very close to Monmouth University. They're like local icons. But anyway. One of the most famous scenes, iconic scenes in that movie is the World Series scene when Jack Nicholson wants the he and his uh, fellow um, uh, 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 patients um, to watch the World Series game, to not sit in the group and talk about depressing things, but watch the World Series game. And the nurse, the administrative red tape nurse, Nurse Ratchet, finds every way to not turn on that television set. It's yep. against the rules. You didn't have a vote. The time ran out. Et cetera, et cetera. And, and basically, due to the red tape and the concern about all the what ifs, what if you break the rules? What if you break the code protocol? You know, um, she was the epitome of, of being, a, you know, a red tape, uh, 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 you know, bureaucrat. So, um, so what happens is, and for those of you who haven't seen the movie, you know, Jack Nicholson then with a closed screen, there's no, the TV's not on, he starts announcing the yep, game as if he's the there, and everyone's going crazy. And Nurse Ratchet's getting really upset, right? Because why? Because our bureaucratic rules are not being followed. Because the spirit of what should have been done is not done. So the students were used, there's a whole section in this submission that Commissioner Manfred about called the cuckoo's nest doctrine. <laughs> and that you don't want, the, the commissioner shouldn't be Nurse Ratchet. You know, the commissioner should be the Nicholson character. And the whole point of and why that, why that, uh, scene is so iconic is because people relate to the the joy of baseball the spirit of baseball this and not to be suppressed by ridiculous red tape rules that really are being applied robotically without any recognition of what you're really trying to accomplish by doing that other than that well this is the rule this is the rule like when you go to dmv and people get frustrated on motor vehicles this is the rule you know well, well why why does it you know we got to look at the spirit of the rule and so there's a whole section about that in the law and society class. There's not only legal issues, but social issues. Why it would be helpful to Major League Baseball to not be Nurse Ratchet in this no, situation. It definitely be, would. Before be, you get to the to, oh, go ahead. To be the Nicholson character. Yeah, know? which is it was one of the great roles of, of all time. Before I get to the million-dollar question, I did want to ask you. You're obviously an incredible student of the game of baseball, and I have tons of respect for your knowledge and, and how much I can tell you, and obviously myself as well, love the game. When it came to this, I know you had mentioned, we touched on a little bit earlier, 
you know, you obviously knew about this situation. You mentioned most of the kids in the class were nine, eight years old. Was it more you bringing this up as an example of a way to teach the law? Was it a student interested in this? Like, as far as the whole thing coming together for this being the project, was it kind of a, a joint thing or was it one side or the other side? A lot of the students, you know, when students take classes in college, what they tend to do, and I can't speak for any specific student, but they ask their friends who previously took the class, they, they research, you know, it's much easier to research things than it was back in my day when you just, you know, potluck, yeah. you took a class and hope for the best, you know. Um, so I think a lot of students were aware that each semester we did some kind of a project. Um, we had never done a baseball or sports related project, but we did other types of projects where the year before, two years before when COVID broke out, the students literally wrote a book. It was the first book in the United States in real time by college students going through uh, as uh, on campus, you know, the pandemic when it first broke in April 2020. And uh, they wrote a book and it was part of their course credit, but also they were more proud of the fact, not that they got a good grade in the class, but that they wrote this book and uh, and then other types of projects. So they were, I think most of the students were aware there's going to be some type of project coming in. And then, um, you know, when we started working on it early in the semester, started bringing it up to them. Um, a lot of the students, some of the students had some, uh, you know, hesitations because they weren't familiar with baseball. They thought somehow this was a sports law class. Right. And I try to explain this, this really, I mean, it had nothing to do with sports. Not really. I mean, I understand the setting was baseball, but that wasn't the point. The point wasn't to study baseball. The point was to study laws and rules and see how arguments, persuasive arguments can be made in the name of fairness and equity and justice to comply with spirits of rules rather than the literal language. That's such an important part of, of our law uh, in the courtrooms. I mean, it really is. And so once after, you know, a class or two, once they understood that, they were really on board with it, even those, we had a couple of international students in the class and they had never, they weren't really familiar with baseball, you know, cricket and stuff like that, <laughs> yeah, um, but, but they got into it. And then, you know, so, you know, when Armando uh, Galarraga, you know, heard about this, was willing to talk to the class, that that pretty much did it. I mean, they all fell in love with him. Honestly, they did. And uh, and he his story is compelling. And it's a story that people don't really know. Everyone knows what everyone knows about Colorado is the perfect game and that blown call. But they don't really know his whole really the dramatic story about how he got to where he was before oh, that. Yeah. It really is an incredible story. It's a stunning story. And uh, it really, really resonated and humanized the situation with the students. And once that happened, which is about the midpoint of the semester, that was it. They didn't need me at all. I could have. <laughs> I could have. Oh, they read, needed you, Professor. I, I, I could have left. On. No, I mean, I mean to, to encourage them. They did not. It's the truth. They broke into teams. There were four different teams, and one was the Mets, and one was the Red Sox, and one was the Yankees. Well, there were no Tigers, unfortunately. Oh, we got to get some Tigers next Yankees, time. Yankees. Well. I'm a lifetime Oakland A's fan. I'm, I'll, I'll admit on the Detroit radio station, but um, it's all right. My the, best uh, friend's a big A's fan too, so I, I have respect. There you go. But but the there were no A's groups. I wanted there to be one, but there wasn't. It was Yankees, Mets, uh, Red Sox, and Phillies, and they they worked at this, and they were excellent at it, and they were dedicated, and it was not involved. It really was not an analysis of baseball. This is the whole point. It was analysis of, of, of principles of, of legal principles and social principles of law and fairness and how you do and do not interpret rules. And the conclusion is, was uh, really almost unanimously that, you know, this rule, you know, when people say this is the rule in baseball, they have to take a more careful look at that rule and how it came about and whether it does or does not apply even in this type of extraordinary situation. And in, 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 in all of our jurisdictions, and we cited lots of cases from New Jersey and New York, New York is where the commissioner's office is located. New Jersey is where Major League Baseball's um, television office is located. And so that's where the jurisdiction. So we couldn't cite from every state, but we picked from those. And time and time and time again, it's crystal clear that a ch in chancery court, which is called the court of fairness, that's what the commissioner's office is kind of modeled after, arguably. Right. Um, that, you, you know, the important thing is to do the right thing and that you don't simply just you know, read a rule literally. Now, that doesn't mean to ignore rules, but there's nothing, as I said before, there's nothing in the history of Major League Baseball that even suggests that those who wrote the rules had this type of situation in mind. They had a very different situation in mind. You know, 
the ump you can't the manager and umpire can't you can't protest every call that an umpire right. makes otherwise no game would ever move ahead <laughs> would never finish but that's not what happened here and when you have everybody agreeing and saying a commissioner or major league baseball saying well but the rule says that maybe they got to look a little more closely at that rule and be consistent with how a court of equity would handle this situation by analogy which arguably is not the way it was handled back in 2010. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, and as I mentioned, leading into that million dollar question, 82 page documents been submitted to Rob Manfred. You know, what do you, I, I know that it's tough to, to try to, you know, armchair quarterback things like this, but what do you think the chances are that this actually works and that this is, this right is wrong? I think there's a chance. Wrong, yeah, fun- wrong is right. We're very aware that the commissioner has a lot of other things on his plate. We're very aware when it was actually originally submitted, it was during the lockout and there was, you know, right. obviously the attention had to be there. It had to be there. Um, and the plan is to, you know, to follow up with the commissioner in mid-May um, if we don't, uh, if there's no response one way or the other by that particular point and to follow up, um, possibly to request that the students literally appear at the commissioner's office and be heard not only by the commissioner, but by, you know, uh, other major league executives. Um, my feeling on it is if this is given a fair and open-minded reading, uh, like with anything else in the law, like when you go to court, um, the result would very logically be to give Galarraga credit for the perfect game, number one, because it would be very difficult to argue against it other than, yeah. well, that's just the way. I mean, there's no, there's, it, it's hard to argue if you understand if you understand the rule, the rules and how it works, um, and, and and principles of analogy and distinction, it's very hard to argue against that. Um, number one, in this case, uh, that's number one. Number two, that doesn't mean that you know, forget about everything which happened. It doesn't mean you put an asterisk by it, which has a very negative connotation in sports as a result of the Roger Maris situation. So you don't taint it with an asterisk. But what you can have, and this is explained by the students in the in the uh, in the submission. Um, they make a whole suggestion there on how this could actually read. You would have a, a numbered footnote after Galarraga's name. He's the 20th one to pitch a perfect, 21st one at that particular point. There right. a couple of other sets. So you put him back in in his place. You have an asterisk and you explain in detail in, a, in, a, in, a, in an annotation what happened for future reference or future posterity for students of the game 20, 30 years from now that this was relooked at, why the decision was rendered in the interest of baseball to include them on the list. And it's a very positive thing. Unlike the Maris situation where the asterisk was a very negative thing, it was essentially designed to dilute or demean or in some fashion discredit what Roger Maris has done. In this case, you don't want to discredit what Galarraga did. What Galarraga did, he did it. He pitched a perfect game. It's hard to argue he did not. Um, and, and he did. And the second that the that he touched first base a step and a half before the Cleveland base runner, Larry Donald, got, uh, 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 Jason Donald got there, that should have been the perfect. Game. Then he got the next guy out too, out of 28 out perfect. Game. So you put that in there. This could be such a win win for Major League Baseball, number one, because it's showing it's, you know, it's not out of touch. And it's good PR at a time like this where they need it. It's not, you know, you got to demonstrate that you're, you know, you're flexible here. Right. You're, you're clearly doing the right thing. Nobody's opposing it on the other team. It doesn't change the, the game and it recognizes something that really happened. So it's not a situation where you're rewriting history. You're what you're doing is you're right. You're, you're writing a wrong with the not only consent, but encouragement of Jim Joyce, who really is a hero as far as the class is concerned. As a matter, we we're kind of hopeful we'd be able to speak with Jim Joyce. We didn't have that opportunity. Um, um, because we really didn't know how to reach him, quite frankly. But, um, uh, you know, we did, you know, get the opportunity to speak with Galarraga. And, uh, you know, he's such a humble person and he is such a, um, a dedicated person. And even now, 10 years after the fact, you know, there's no bitterness when he presents, you know, but, you know, he acknowledges that he did pitch a perfect game. And that's something that's, you know, when anyone accomplishes in this world, something of, of that, of, you know, rare stature, we accomplish it. We get to the height of your profession so quickly. It's nice to be acknowledged for it. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you don't want to hear from everyone else. Well, you're better off not being acknowledged for it because people remember you that more that way. I mean, that, that's really not really focusing on the true feelings that people have when they worked hard for something and made it 
and they and they got there and they and they accomplished this thing that very few, if anyone's ever accomplished. And then it's still because of some glitch in the system doesn't get recognized. It's not equitable. It's not fair. And the purpose of our court system and our rules and our whole judicial system is based on what? Advancing fairness in any situation. So can that be applied in a baseball situation? Absolutely. The baseball constitution allows it. It's right. It's sitting right there. But, you know, whether or not it's going to happen and answer the million dollar question, we have our fingers crossed. We hope that it happens. If it doesn't happen, it won't be for lack of trying. Yep. And it won't be for lack of submitting arguments that perhaps weren't submitted this way 10 years ago, weren't submitted in this fashion you know, uh, 10 years ago. That's why it was 82 pages. It wasn't because, you know, just saying the same thing a hundred times. I heard a couple of people say, why do you need 82 pages? Just watch the tape. You know, you in two seconds. Look, you <laughs> yeah, said, explain the legal flow from point but of it, view. It, get, it gets a lot deeper than that because, you know, when you're talking about groups or organizations or, you know, lots of people who say, well, it's going to open up a can of worms. You have to be able to persuasively explain why it's highly illogical that would not happen. And by the way, even in the Brett case in 1983, there were people who were against it because it was going to open up a can of worms. It didn't open up any can of worms. Nope. No worm, not a single worm came out in the last 40 years. You know, it was a very, very isolated instance. It happened. And many people feel the commissioner did the right thing in that particular case too. And life went on and nobody suffered as a result. Well, whether it happens or not, and boy, I hope it does. You've done an incredible job with your class. I got to ask you, what is it going to take? I want to audit this Law and Society class. Can we set that up? <laughs> I mean, I'll even make it a, a, a fine donation to Monument because it would be, I wish I would have had a professor like you. I had some great ones on my way up, but I, I hope, I, I, I'm sure I can tell that the way that I've, I've read some comments from some of your students, that they know how lucky they are to have a guy like you that's not only a student of the game, but a student of the legal game. And to give them this great, you know, pop culture case, sports case that teaches so many different sides of things, aside from the baseball side of thing, I have a lot of respect for you and what you're doing with your class. Well, I greatly appreciate that. I'm sure the students would love hearing that. And again, that was the fall of 2021. We're just finishing the spring of 2022 with a different class. And I'm not at liberty to discuss the project, but maybe <laughs> somewhere down the line, we can talk about it. I, some people may find it even more interesting than the Galarraga project, but we just try to make these things as interesting as possible because, you know, college is an opportunity for students, not just to memorize things or to do well on tests, but to really expand their minds and to, um, and, and to uh, take whatever they learn in college and, and really hopefully make a difference in the world with open-mindedness. That's really the goal. Doesn't get any better than that. Professor Lawrence Jones, Monmouth University, I can't thank you enough. Look forward to staying in touch with you. I know my audience is going to love hearing all the things we discussed today. And here's to nothing but this thing getting changed for the right reasons, not just because we're in Detroit here, but uh, I I'm just very impressed and have such respect for the case you and your students put forward. And uh, thanks so much for joining me today. It means a lot. Well, you're welcome. And thank you very much for having us on behalf of all the students and really everyone here in New Jersey. Thank you for the interest. Dan, that you and the and the uh, the good people in Michigan have, and look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Look forward to it. Much more to come here on the Detroit CityCast. Appreciate it again, Professor Lawrence Jones. We'll be back in a minute. Baseball is here, and Bet Rivers has a special offer for you every Saturday throughout the season. Place a three-leg same-game parlay of at least twenty-five bucks, and you will earn a ten-dollar free bet with same-game parlays. You can combine player props and game bets to make your perfect combo. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Claim your offer on the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com. Must be 21, playable in Michigan only. Gambling problem, call 1 800 270 7117. I mean, that was one of the more fascinating and fun discussions I've ever had with anybody about anything regarding sports and just in general. Just a pleasure to talk to Professor Lawrence Jones and uh, kudos to his students, kudos to himself, and maybe this does change something. Maybe we have that rare time where, you know, academia can lead to a wrong being righted. It's happened before, but it definitely is a rarity, and and there, as he explained in so many different ways and so well, even to, of course, the layman for both baseball and for the law, it's one of those situations where it just makes too much sense not to give Galarraga the perfect game that he so richly deserves. Everyone agrees it was the wrong call. There's no reasonable doubt 
to use a legal term. There's no possibility that it, you know, it wasn't what it, we think it was. Denny Green saying they were who they thought they were by the Chicago Bears. We know what we thought this was, and it was a perfect game. So kudos to him. Please, as you, as you mentioned, check out that PDF of the 82 pages they put together. I'm going to share the link to that on my social media at DanLeach971 and all the other stuff, Instagram and Facebook as well. So thanks again to Professor Lawrence Jones. We're going to audit that Law and Society class. Uh, we got lots coming up with the draft day. Burkett will join me tomorrow on the Wild Wednesday edition of the Detroit CityCast, breaking down all angles of what the Lions might do, might not do, and should do on draft days, both Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Can't wait for that. And the odds, as I mentioned, continue to shift when it comes to Aiden Hutchinson going first, uh, Trayvon Walker going first, and of course, Aquanu in the mix now, going down from 12 to 1 to 8 to 1 to 5 to 1 in less than 24 hours. And, you know, a $200 favor right now is Trayvon Walker after being 30 to 1 a few months back to be the first overall pick. Hutchinson now 2 to 1 after being as high as minus 440 to be the first pick. So we'll keep monitoring that for you. Talk about uh, all that with Dave Burkett coming up tomorrow, the Lions beat writer for the free press. The best in the business, as I call him, the bib. Best in the business. All right, thanks again to Professor Lawrence Jones. Thanks again to you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that discussion with the professor as much as I did with my man, Larry. Till next time, keep reaching for the stars. Believe in the dream. Dan Leach, the Squatch, on this fine Tuesday.